You are listening to the podcast series for Mission to Amish People. Mission to Amish People is a Christian ministry with a threefold purpose of evangelizing and discipling Amish and former Amish, helping Amish people who leave their communities by helping them transition into the English world, and by presenting the ministry to churches nationwide. You can find out more about Mission to Amish People by going to their website at www.mapministry.org. The following is an audio conversation with John Regeer on the topic of moral addictions. This is part two of four. All right, we're on the phone with John Regeer with the Amish Voice Conference line, 52 callers. We'll continue. How does one gain freedom from moral addiction? If somebody's addicted and wants to be free, especially if someone's embarrassed or doesn't want to turn to church leaders or family, what should be the steps on how to become free? You would go back to what I shared a little bit earlier. Um, I would make sure that emotionally, the issues of one's emotional pain or emotional need would be resolved first. So if a person was never loved, that they would uh, pray to resolve that pain inside. Secondly, that they would repent of each area of moral failure from their past. And the third is that they would find emotional connection, relationship with other people to fulfill their emotional needs. Now, we have worksheets, if you would like, to ask for the prayer to resolve moral failure. I can send that to you um, if you want uh, the three steps to resolve the uh, emotional pain, the sexual abuse, and the emotional need. I have the chart that goes along with that. If anyone would like that, I have them available uh, here at the Caring for the Heart off in Colorado Springs. It's Caring for the Heart Ministries, 3545 American Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80917. Our phone number is 719-572-5550. Or you can go online and request it at caringfortheheart.com. All right, go ahead with your question. I would like to, uh, I guess I have the problem with the lust, and I don't I don't know how to go back and find out what's causing that. I guess. Okay, is that, is that your question? Do you have any more to add to that? Well, you know, as a child, I, you know, at a young age, I, we, I was in some moral failure and things like that, but... I don't know if that's what it is, or and how do I get over it? I guess, but I. Okay, let, let me just address what you've said, and then I'll let you answer any further questions if they're not answered. <clears throat> the the first thing I would ask in your situation is, as a child, did someone expose you to pornography or expose you to a moral issue that damaged you and focused you inappropriately? Um, and you don't have to answer my questions on the phone. But, for example, if someone exposed you to pornography or masturbation or someone explained something about sex to you, that may have caused you to begin lusting. Okay, that is all sexual abuse. And so what we want to do is go through and confess that emotion, that um, acknowledge that we were sexually abused. Um, the second thing is... Often in conservative cultures, the focus is on performance and not an emotional connection. So a child emotionally doesn't feel loved by the parents 
with a result that when they're introduced to sexual things as a child, uh, they find that fulfilling, so they keep going back to lust or pornography. And so the key is to ask the question, was I emotionally loved by my parents, or was my home about performance, or just following certain rules? Because fulfillment comes for a child in emotional connected relationship. That's what God designed. And if that's not there, that can easily cause a child to focus on lust. Now, from that, I'm going to just ask you questions that I would prefer you didn't answer, um, but you can think through them. If you came from a home that was, for example, performance-driven and you never felt loved and every time you're lonely, you struggle with lust as an adult, then the connection is performance without love uh, causes me to, to have a, an emotional need inside and lust may meet that emotional need. Now, sometimes it's helpful if you're sitting down with another person and you tell them about your childhood, what happened, and then they try and put the issues together with you, and that's what I do in my office each week. Second thing is what you want to do is you want to confess each moral failure that you've experienced from the past uh, so that you are totally clean morally. Then if you're married, you want to make sure your wife is meeting your emotional needs. So those are the three steps we're defining this evening. Now, do you have any further questions in regard to that? No, um, it may, it all makes sense. You said things that, that I see where it's at. It's helped me, but um, yeah, I'm probably going to have to need get some help to go through with it. Well, at Caring for the Heart, we have 20 different offices, and you can go online to our website, caringfortheheart.com, and we have websites all over the east there. Or you can call our office, and uh, we'd be glad to help you if you struggle with any of these areas and need help with them. That's why we're here. John, would they would it be good for someone to call your office and just get some phone numbers of the different areas in the country that they could contact and make arrangements to go to for counseling? Yes, they could just call our our office here at Caring for the Heart seven one nine five seven two five 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 zero. And my receptionist would be glad to give them the phone numbers of people closest to them. Or they can go on our website and they're listed there. Uh, there are more, we have more referrals in our office than we have on our website. The website is just caring for the heart offices. But we refer to about 60 counselors we've trained across the country. Um, and we're more than willing to help with anybody who's struggling with this. All right. Thank you for your question. There's another question from Mr. Regeer. Yes, John. Uh, I was just wondering what's the best way to approach a person, like if you have a person in church that uh, you know has problems with uh, lusting and stuff like that, what's the best way to approach such a person if you want to try and help somebody like that? First of all, you want to be humble and make sure that your issues are resolved morally. But secondly, um, obviously, in order for you to be aware of someone struggling with something, you're informed by someone like a wife might tell your wife that my husband's in pornography or lusting or something. If 90% of men are lusting, that means in any church, 90% of the men sitting there are lusting. Um, what I would do is go to that individual and just say it came to my attention that you're struggling with uh, lust or pornography. Uh, would you be willing to sit down and talk with me? The steps that we use in our office is we accept a person where they are without judging them. Um, if you judge a person, then you close off the opportunity to actually help them. Um, 
they already know what they're doing is wrong. And so, so to tell them one more time you shouldn't be doing what you're doing actually creates a rejection on their part. So we accept them. Secondly, we seek to understand the cause of why they're involved in whatever they're involved in. Because everybody that gets involved in moral failure, there's a cause. And probably 80% of the people in moral failure have been sexually abused. That's why they're involved. And my definition of sexual abuse is if someone introduces a boy to pornography, that's sexual abuse. Or you might have a father that introduced his boys to pornography by leaving magazines laying around. The third step is to care about that person and um, to sit down with them and spend three to six hours helping them understand why they're addicted or why they're lusting, and then to lead them through the three steps. The first step being, is there an emotional need? Is there emotional pain? Is there sexual abuse? And lead them to actually resolve that in their heart, and then to lead them to confess their moral issues, and then help them to find an emotional connection to meet their emotional needs. What I do personally in my office is I'll spend 15 hours with a couple helping them resolve this. And uh, and when you are patient with people and you care about people, they'll open up and talk to you. And that's the process I would encourage you to do. Yeah, the individual that I'm thinking of, uh, I mean, we're I'm from the conservative culture, and uh, I mean, they've repeatedly repented in church for it and can't seem to be getting any victory in it. In the conservative culture, they're very locked up about such things or about even talking about such things. So it's been kind of a challenge for me to know how to approach somebody that's locked up like that, emotionally locked up in their heart and are not open to talking about such things. Well, we have a DVD on moral addictions that's an hour long, and um, you may want to order that out of our office and then sit down with that individual with it because it takes you step by step and has the charts you need to actually walk through and resolve it. And, uh, you know, feel free to order that from our office if you like. I I think one of the problems we have is as a church, and I'm speaking generally, we've judged people because they have a problem, but we haven't really figured out how to help them resolve it. And I think as a church we need to be focused on are we willing to take the time to actually help them resolve the issue. And it's more than just telling a person you shouldn't lust or you shouldn't be in pornography. It's sitting down with them and understanding what happened to them emotionally and helping them resolve that issue. I appreciate the fact that you actually you know, want to help, want to sit down and want to work through that with them. Yeah, it makes, a, it makes it a bit of a challenge. I mean, I've been through your week-long trainings and stuff like that, so, and I've actually gone through your program, and I appreciate for what you do. But with, uh, you know, with a family and having 10-hour days, it can be a bit of a challenge to find enough time to sit down with somebody for a long enough period of time to really work through things. So that's kind of right. the challenge that I'm up to also. Well, that's why our offices are available, because we want to help, you know, where you may not have time to do that. Um, that's why our counselors are available. Um but the fact that you've been through the training, you understand the concepts, and you can sit down with them and encourage them with with the process to go through. And I think that's really important. Thank you. You're welcome. When you were answering that, it made me think that those in church who are Christians, well, a lot of us probably should be ashamed because people don't feel comfortable a lot of times going to Christians with their problem because they know they're going to be judged. The church, Christians should be a place where you go to them with a problem and you know you're going to find help. You shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed and be condemned by them. 
But do you find that happens a lot with people who turn to church and uh, church leaders and Christians? The subject of moral failure is a difficult one to address in church uh, just because it's a topic we don't talk about much. And if 90% of the people, of, of men, are involved in lust and pornography, um, it's a huge problem. In fact, in Christian circles, it's worse. Um, there's a motel, five-star motel in Colorado Springs, and uh, Christian organizations that rent rooms, uh, pornography triples. The orders for pornography triple when Christians are in the motel. Uh, Non-Christians, it, it goes down three times. And uh, so we have a problem, you know, in the church. And I think one of the things we have to be careful of is if you judge people uh, that are involved without really wanting to care about them, yes, what they're doing is wrong. But as long as you reject them and judge them, we're not going to solve the problem. We need to make a place where they can come to actually resolve the issue. And that's very important that they feel acceptance and are understood and we seek to, to care. One of the things I personally have found, and I've had three homosexuals come into my office, they're scared to death they're going to be rejected because they know what they're doing is a violation of Romans 1. And I have to be very cautious that I don't reject them and I lead them to actually resolve the source of why that happened. I just had a couple married 46 years, and uh, he had had homosexual desires all their marriage. And I went back, and he had been sexually abused in 11 ways by his mother and his sisters and others in his family and uh, friends. And emotionally, it totally destroyed his life. But no one had ever taken the time. A lot of people had judged him because he was in church all of those years. A lot of people judged him, but no one ever took the time. And I spent 30 hours with him seeking to understand where that came from, why. And when I explained that to him, he finally understood why he had those homosexual desires. And so that's why I think it's important that we don't judge, even though what they're doing is sin, but that we accept them for who they are and what they did, and then walk them to actually resolve that through understanding the problem and leading them to confess that before the Lord. We have another question from Mr. Regeer. Go ahead and ask your question. I had a question on, on the lust factor. Uh, people come up with the excuse type of idea that when they look upon women, they're just kind of enjoying the scenery and they have no sexual thoughts even cross their mind. Mm -hmm. Then I found a arguing point in a book uh, that actually supported that a little bit uh, on the definition of lust from the Greek word epith, uh, whatever you call it, epithemo, which is the same translation as covet. So this fellow is saying when you covet, which is strong desire, and he's talking out of uh, where Jesus said, when you look on a woman, uh, how, how's it going again? Um, uh, whoever so looked on a woman, yeah, lust after her, committed adultery in her heart already. But he was, this guy in his book was translating that as covenant. So he would say you can look upon a woman, but if you don't have a strong desire, it might be the, accusing of, the accuser of the brethren giving you guilt where it shouldn't be. So I guess the question is where does lust stop and start versus well, just whatever. Yeah. Um, you have to understand when a person is in moral failure, they often will justify what they're doing. And that's from Proverbs 30.20. And so um, th there's no question that coveting another woman sexually is sin. But I would probably disagree with the author and say even lusting or desiring that person um, 
which is a step before that, would be wrong too. Um, focusing on a person to lust after them, um, I don't think you can separate the two out because one's going to lead to the other. In other words, if you have desire for someone, it's going to lead to coveting that person uh, sexually. And uh, I guess the line that I would draw uh, personally is that lust is wrong, coveting another person sexually is wrong, and um, we need to draw the line before that to be realistic. Just like baby, baby steps, basically. Right. Baby steps into sin and you're playing with it anyway. It's like James says, you know, um, your thought leads to desire, which leads to actual sin. And um, I think God designed the marriage relationship for a wife to meet her husband's emotional and sexual needs. And uh, so a husband should be focusing on connecting with his wife. And about 95% of people are not connected emotionally in their marriage. So they're not fulfilled emotionally by feeling love with their wife. And that's, from my perspective, the bigger problem. And then secondly, um, that opens a door for a man to be focused elsewhere. What I found in my office is interesting. When I connect a couple emotionally in my office where they feel loved by each other, and I call that emotional connection, and the man repents of all of his moral sins, and we define where that emotional and physical or that emotional pain and issue, when that gets resolved, a man loses interest in lust because he doesn't need lust because his emotional need is being met in his relationship with his wife and his sexual need is being met in his relationship with his wife. Over the last three years, I've taken the time to ask 100 men, if you had a choice between having 30 minutes of sex with your wife tonight and having 30 minutes of an emotional connection with your wife where she opens her heart and you can feel that connection, which would you choose? Not one man has chosen sex. Every man longs to be connected with his wife. And if 95% of men are not connected with their wife for whatever reasons, no emotional connection there, that opens the door for uh, lust, pornography, um, justification of, of those things. And But if you get the emotional connection in a marriage relationship, the husband loses interest in pornography and lust. Uh, you don't have to agree with me. That's just my position. Thank you for listening to this podcast series. Check out Mission to Amish People online at www.mapministry.org or keep up to date with us on Facebook and Google+. Thank you again and have a blessed day.